you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm super excited today. I have with me Josh Shacknow. I got his name right. I'm off to a good start. Cannot, cannot hate on that. Uh, Josh is an immigration lawyer. We're going to talk a little bit about that. He also is the host of the Solopreneur Grind, uh, a podcast. He's also uh, posting those up onto YouTube and uh, so has had some great guests on that show. I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit. But uh, for the time being, Josh, welcome so much to the podcast. How are you, my man? Thanks very much, Ryan, for having me. I'm doing very well and uh, was really glad to have you on the podcast. So we, we can definitely vouch for the quality of my guests, right? If, if, <laughs> if an esteemed gentleman like you would, would take his time to be on it. So thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know. I didn't want to bring that up just in case it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really enjoy it. Totally biased, but I do think it was a really good episode. I believe it's episode 63 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, when you guys get done listening to this, go listen to that. We'll make sure to put links in the in the show notes and um, for for a whole lot of reasons. So, Josh, I you know as I uh, have learned, you know just a little bit about you. Obviously, we had some conversation. I did a little bit of digging. Obviously, I introduced you as a lawyer. And first of all, you look like a really young dude. And I just feel like it's funny. I actually just finished up about three or four months ago, a consulting project in the immigration law space, which is just so weird. But like, mm. why that area? Like, what was attracting, attractive to you there? I know, like, now you're in the more on the tech side of it, which is great, and we can talk about, but you've spent some time there. And so what was it about immigration law that drew you in to begin with? Yeah, it's a good question. I get asked, you know, relatively often because the funny part of it is I had no intention to ever go into it. And I did not take immigration law in law school. And uh, I, that's not where I started my career. What happened was in Canada, I don't believe it's this way in the US, but in Canada, when you finish law school, you have to do what's called articling. It's basically a 10 month paid internship. And when you finish that, you get called to the bar. So I did my articling in civil litigation and a little bit of real estate and kind of your typical, you know, corporate, whatever. And I strongly disliked it. It was a, it was a good firm. Don't get me wrong, you know, but A, I found the work really boring and B, I uh, did not like working for other older lawyers who were not very technologically inclined. So the 10 months came up, I decided to not stay on and I took a couple months off and just didn't know what I wanted to do next. Should I try another area of law? Should I do something totally unrelated? You know, I didn't, I didn't know. A very good friend of mine who I grew up with reached out and said, hey, Josh, I know you're kind of looking for another um, opportunity or, you know, next step. My dad is a immigration lawyer who is kind of on the way out. He's had his own practice for, you know, a decade and a half, really smart guy, but he's actually kind of closing up but he really wants to like stay involved in some way, maybe mentor someone, you know, pass on clients, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short of that was, do you want to kind of start your own practice under the mentorship of my dad? And I really, you know, I obviously really like my friend, had a few phone calls with his dad, looked into the immigration space, which, uh, Canada has always been pretty well known for friendly immigration and due to the tech scene as well booming in Canada, uh, it looked like a really promising industry. And the idea of starting my own business, so I, I have a law degree, I also have a BCom, so I did my undergrad in business. I always was kind of more pulled towards business than law, I mean, ironic. And so anyways, I said, you know what, this sounds like a great opportunity. So I said, yes. And that's how my that's how a bit of a long story there for what yeah. seemed like a simple question, but that's how I entered the uh, immigration law industry. Okay, so you said something that uh, is usually flip flopped for most people uh, in the midst of all that, and we're going to get back to talking a little bit more about immigration law because I want to unpack that. You're from Canada, immigration. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. That could be a fun conversation. But um, you said that you were more focused on business than you were on law or maybe more drawn to business than you were on law. Now, 
for most entrepreneurs and like your podcast, you know, kind of your brand is solopreneur. And so, you know, most people that start businesses, especially the entrepreneur solopreneur, they are a craftsman. Uh, they are the creator. They're the artist. Like they're passionate about their field, right? They're mm -hmm. uh, the actual, the work and they make poor business people um, mm -hmm. or just not good ones, you know, if I want to be charitable there. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that you say like that you're more drawn to business. So can you maybe uh, explain that a little bit? I know I didn't prep you for a question like that, but like what, what is it about the business side that draws you kind of more in than, than just law itself? Because law, yeah. by the way, law is like, that's a great field to be in. Like, there's good money. It's stable, particularly yep. booming immigration in a place like, or, or for work in a place like Canada. So, you know, why, why the business side? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's also funny that you highlight that earlier fact because the, my mentor, the older lawyer, was that person. Mm. He loved immigration law. He was great at it, book smart, you know, liked to have his head down, head down doing the files. And he, one of the first things he admitted to me was, Josh, I'm a terrible businessman. I'm happy to help you in any way I can. I'll help you with immigration and give you advice and blah, blah, blah. But just letting you know, I'm not the greatest businessman. Um, and I was totally okay with that because like you said, I'm, I'm kind of the other way. I am not overly passionate about sitting down and like doing specific tasks. What has always appealed to me is uh, strategy, trying, trying to think of what to do, how to do it more efficiently, more productively, cutting costs, marketing uh, strategies, um, negotiating, uh, talking partnerships, you know, sales, marketing, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that just kind of came naturally, right? It's like every, everybody just has something there. You know, my mentor was more naturally inclined to kind of the book smart type work, doing applications and refugee claims and this, that, and the other. That stuff sounds really boring to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would much rather do, you know, more stuff that you and I kind of focus on now, right? Helping people with their marketing strategies, implementing them, uh, business growth, uh, talking to other business owners or potential clients and, and stuff like that. Okay. And so how long did you have that relationship with that specific business partner? Well, it, it's still kind of ongoing in a sense. Okay. So what, what ended up happening was we ran that practice for a little over two years and it was pretty good. Like, like you said, the, one of the benefits about law is especially immigration in Canada was a good industry and it's lucrative, right? People will pay you if they know that you're a good lawyer. So especially, you know, it was slow. The first six months especially were very tough getting up and running, getting those first few clients in. But once you did and the referrals kicked in and I gained more experience, I was relying on Jack. His name's Jack. He was really helpful. I was learning as I went through the motions myself. The word starts spreading. You get referrals and the work just becomes easier because now I've done it before. So I was making pretty good dollars per hour and, uh, that went on for about two years. And then, you know, I don't know how quickly you want to get into the next part of the story, which is where I basically started an immigration tech company. And so at that point, we kind of, I don't want to say went our separate ways. It's just, I kind of stopped taking new immigration clients. Mm -hmm. And so that business uh, stopped, but Jack and I still, I mean, I spoke to him last week. Like we mm. still have a, a few talks a week. Maybe I'll have a question or we'll catch up. Like he's just a great guy in general. So, yeah. um, and then I ended up uh, passing on my book of business to another immigration lawyer. Mm. And so I've been helping her and he is now, I introduced her to him because she's like, Oh, I kind of want a Jack in my life. And I was yeah. like, well, why don't I introduce you to Jack? And so it was just kind of a natural uh, extension. So we're, yeah, it, it's still ongoing. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Uh, I'm so glad you, you happen to say like some of that stuff in that way. Um, the last couple of episodes, I actually think I'll have at least one or two more. I went through the season of, of looking for influential uh, uh, leaders in organizations, particularly asking employees to like, Hey, if you've got a CEO that you work for, that's great. You know, I, I would love to talk to them. And so I had one of the common themes that I was hearing as I was talking to them was great leaders tend 
to hire to complement their weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. And and to and to not be ashamed to admit the things that they don't like to do, they're not good at doing. And so one of the things that sounded like, and obviously you've said this a couple of times, like that was super beneficial about your relationship was he was passionate about one side. He was really good at that. And you were passionate about another side. You were really good at it. So while you benefited a lot learning from him, like the business side or the, the law side of or the practice, um, you know, it was that complementary kind of nature of really you both leading in your areas that probably helped you to be successful a lot more quickly uh, than others. Because you say, well, you mm-hmm. know, six months, it was hard and then it got going. It's like, good Lord, for most people, like six years is how long you grinded out, you know, before you start to be successful. So that was super cool. And the other thing you said that I really appreciated was everybody needs a Jack in their life. And, um, and I think that it's wonderful that you recognize that and that you're willing to pass that along. I just don't think enough people realize the value of mentorship and support like I mean I'm a coach and so like they hear me talk about it a little bit but I just think that you know wisdom and age a lot of times especially for us like I'm 42 so us and younger looking to a generation that's you know 60 70 like I had an executive coach a couple years back that was just over 80 and Mm -hmm. it was awesome because like he was so slow in some areas I'm like bro just pick it up but there was other times that he was so wise to just be like, hey, we need to look at this a whole different way. So I love mm-hmm. that you say that and that you're passing that along. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, it's super important for a, for a few reasons. And don't get me wrong, I fell ass backwards into that situation. So I, I wasn't like, you know, at, at the time I was, I guess, 26 or 27. I wasn't saying, oh, I need to find a mentor. Right, right, it just right. fell into my lap, thank goodness, and I, you know, benefited from it, and, and now, you know, definitely vouch for it. Um, so highly recommended in that regard. Um, but like, what I tell a lot of people too is, you know, you don't force it, right? You don't have to go out looking for, you know, oh, I need a mentor, right? The best relationships, because now, especially since I shifted into tech, is I have kind of like informal mentors where it just kind of happened, you know, you meet the right people and you just continue conversations over time. Even if it's once a month, once every two months, you know, you can rely on this person to ask questions. Uh, But the key takeaway is how can you shorten the learning curve, right? Because unless you're like an Elon Musk, you're not doing anything that's brand new, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are people out there who have likely done what you've done way better than you already maybe even decades ago and yeah. and and especially right now with baby boomers like in Canada a third of our population is baby boomers so that means wow there's over 9 million people in Canada right now that are like ending their careers or you know they're getting to the point where they're ending their careers they've had a ton of experience they have a ton of knowledge they probably like most people don't want to just retire and never work again yeah. and so the, these are like extreme vessels of, of value and information that, uh, you know, it's like reading a million books, right? In the span of, you know, a, a shorter period of time. So how as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, anybody, even as an employee, how can you shorten a learning curve? You can learn, you can read, it's a, do all of that a hundred percent. But a mentor is like all of that on steroids. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really wise because um, again, you know, when uh, I was actually, I was on a coaching consultation this morning and, you know, I said to him, um, like, you know, for this, this, and this, just go Google it or just read a book. Like there's plenty that you can learn. There's, there's a billion resources out there. I think mm-hmm. it's the experiential nature of the engagement, which is what you're alluding to. That's so beneficial. So it's, it's the mentor having obtained all that information that you could too, but mm-hmm. then kind of like running it through his own meat grinder, you know, it comes yeah. out the other side, the way that it seems to work well. And then you get the benefit of, you know, of, of a refined edu- you know, a process of education. So yeah, no, that's awesome. That's super mm-hmm. awesome. Um, so do you, before we get into FinTech or, or law tech, um, so do you find yourself now um, doing that for other people? Um, is that something that you've stayed passionate about is trying to then pass that down to other people? Like, how has that worked out for you? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I'm I'm consulting for this immigration lawyer that I've kind of handed off my my book of business to, and uh, I'm nowhere near Jack's level of experience. But whereas he provides more of the you know like black letter law type advice, um, I've been giving more than just her, uh, you know, other people advice on how to start and grow your own practice, especially given the current circumstances. Because like you said, most of those um, passionate entrepreneurs who have what they do very well, and then they start a business around it, and they're not really business people, I would say times that by three, and that's lawyers, right? Because lawyers, you know, we don't get taught a thing about how to run a business in law school, which is ironic because they teach us everything you need to know about starting a corporation and shareholders and this, this, and this, but they don't teach us a thing about how to actually run your own business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so especially given technology, digital marketing, I mean, most lawyers don't know a thing about, uh, you know, all these opportunities out there, how to create content, Facebook ads, running webinars, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, some formally, some even just informally, you know, people in my network or whatever, um, but have brought on a couple consulting clients and been able to, uh, we'll call it pass on the torch. I mean, I, I love it. I love, I could talk about business and strategy and marketing all day. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I've tried to make that a part of my uh, everyday life now as well. That's awesome. Okay. And, and we're going to, we're going to dig more into this uh, later on, but so, okay. So moving through kind of this trajectory of life that you're on. So you get to this place where you decide now you want to go into the startup world in law, in tech. And so, what was the drive? I mean, probably some assumptions can be made, but kind of what was the drive into that? And what did that look like early on for you? Because that's a big leap. Yeah, yeah, big leap. What happened was, again, I'll try and make a long story short. Mo- what we ended up doing through the firm was building this kind of niche practice helping Canadian tech companies. So we would help them sponsor engineers mm-hmm. from abroad, right? So tech, com- you know, tech industry booming in the States, booming, booming everywhere around the world. And there's not enough engineers, developers in Canada. In Canada, we have an expedited work permit specifically for tech workers, right? So in the US, you have the H1B and this, that, and the other. In Canada, they actually made an expedited work permit just for tech workers. So I was helping all these tech companies. After about a year and a half, two years of doing that, which by the way, you know, immigration work for the most part is glorified paperwork. If you're filling out (laughs) forms, you're, you're gathering supporting documentation. After a year and a half, two years of that, it got boring. And so I was thinking, well, you know, what do I want to do next? Do we automate this? Do we scale it up? And I looked at a lot of my clients and they're all tech companies, high growth tech companies. And I was like, well, that looks way more fun than what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to build it a big law firm because it's just kind of boring. And and so (laughs) the other thing was despite immigration and tech booming in Canada, there was no immigration tech happening in Canada. And so I started thinking about, well, what would an immigration tech company look like if it were in Canada? I played around with a bunch of ideas, long story short, settled on what we're doing now and uh, decided to pull the trigger. The other great thing about that was I, like my practice is still, the corporation is still existing. Like I still do a little bit of a consulting through it. So because they were so in line, I didn't have to shut off one and start the other, which obviously had zero revenue and, and would have zero revenue for a long time. Um, if you can find overlap and be able to work the two together, and I mean, on, on our episode, uh, when, when you guessed it on mine, we talked a lot about, you know, kind of financing your new business and, and how to deal with, you know, when to quit a job or when to start a job and, and et cetera, et cetera. That's super important, right? I like to call it, your, you know, your financial runway. Um, so that was super helpful, that overlap. And, and that's kind of the, how it got started. And so what does that business look like specifically right now then? So you say the, tech. the new one? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so the company's called Visto. We're a, f- a free platform and we help skilled workers through the Canadian permanent residency process. So in the U S you get what's called a green card if you're lucky. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like a crapshoot from what I hear. Yeah. In Canada, I mean, our doors are very relatively open. 
So we have a points-based system. It's called Express Entry. It's for skilled workers. It's a points-based system. You can apply in Canada, outside Canada, with a job, without a job. Now, you need a high enough score in order to actually go through the whole process. Uh, but it's a much more straightforward process, especially if you have a high enough score. So we created a platform that's free so that people can go in and determine their eligibility, work their way through the immigration process, whether they do or don't have a job. We also help those who are looking for a job. And then if you need additional services from a lawyer, then we have upsells along the way, right? Mm -hmm. So upsells from the legal side, upsells from the settlement side, right? Maybe you're you, you get your PR, you're moving to Toronto, you want a real estate agent, you need medical insurance, whatever, whatever. We're building kind of like a one-stop shop uh, for immigrating to Canada. So that's, so it's not the firms that are using the platform, it's the actual candidates that are using the platform and you're Correct. helping them to get uh, work ready to come into Canada and be able to work there. Uh, Immigration status, first yeah. and foremost. So first and foremost, their PR status. So we want to oh, get so, them permanent so, residency. So just so their immigration status generally, not even from a work perspective, like to become uh, a resident of Canada. Correct. Canadian uh, permanent resident. Yeah. Got so, it. Which, which means you can move to any city and work for any company you want. Wow. So it, so it makes finding a job much easier. And uh, so what, what's, the pa like, what's the passion there? Um, I'm afraid to ask that question sometimes, but like what's the big drive to be in this space? I mean, is it just as simple as I was doing this before and this was just an easy pivot? Yeah, it's, it, it's a combination of a few things. Number one, I wanna build a, I wanna build a big company. Um, working alone, has its ups and downs, working alone for years on end was starting to take its toll. Um, so I wanna build a big business and I wanna help a lot more people than I could, you know, just through a small uh, law practice, number one. Uh, number two is I think it's in most people's best interest to leverage their experience, their knowledge, their network, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I could have started any kind of tech company, right? I was kind of like, well, I, I kind of want to start a tech company. But I had just spent two and a half years learning a lot, ex building my network a lot. So, so think about it this way, right? Do I want to start a whatever fashion tech company and literally start from ground zero or start an immigration tech company where I'm already an expert, right? I have the lawyer tag. I've helped over a hundred people uh, come to come to Canada, right? So there's testimonials right on the homepage mm -hmm. right away. I don't have to do much research. I know the program in and out, right? So I created the whole portal. The whole portal is filled with immigration information from a Canadian lawyer. I can reach out to all my network. So all these people who I helped come on work permits to Canada, guess what they need within two years? They need permanent residency. Mm. And they already trust me because they've already worked with me. Right. So it's almost like, why in the world would I not leverage that as well as you have to be realistic, you know, like what has hype? We all know what the odds are of succeeding with a business, right? Extraordinarily low. So let's try and give ourselves any chance at increasing that number as possible. That's a whole bunch of chips in my stack. Um, and yeah, ha having, having the network, having the experience, um, it just all seemed to make sense. Plus, like I said, there was nobody doing it, mm -hmm. right? So, so you alluded to earlier, you know, oh, you're not selling it to lawyers, you're going directly to the users. Um, selling to lawyers is never fun. I, I didn't want to build B2B <laughs> software to try and sell to lawyers, as, you know, as I'm sure you know. Um, so I was thinking along the lines of the legal zooms, right? Like what, are, what is all this tech ultimately in a lot of industries doing? It's empowering people so they can do it on their own, mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to build a platform where individuals didn't need a lawyer yeah. and or if they use the platform and then decide they want upsells, we're affordable, right? So you yeah. can go to a Canadian lawyer tomorrow and pay five grand and they'll do your whole application with a smile on their face. Or you can go to our portal, not pay a dollar, get through 70 to 80% of it on your own and then pay three figures instead of four figures to have a lawyer review it so you still get the same amount of certainty. That's awesome. Last That's thing awesome. I'll quickly say is this is ongoing a little bit, Ryan, but no, no. there there were 
a fair amount of reasons is I was getting messages on LinkedIn every week, usually more than one or two a week from people abroad who saw this, this was before Visto was even an idea, right? They just saw I was a Canadian immigration lawyer saying, Hey, can you please help me move to Canada? Can you help me move to Canada? What I was specializing in was helping companies that were hiring people, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not tens of millions of people who want to move to Canada, but they just don't, they can't figure it out, right? It, it's confusing. So I wanted to build a solution that would help a whole bunch of people that was scalable. Yep. And, and this awesome. is what we came up with. Yeah, no. It's a way better answer than I was even hoping for. So no, that, that's great. <laughs> well, I, I, because I think that, you know, I mean, obviously, um, a lot of the reason why we should start a business, especially, you know, at, at, like entrepreneur, solopreneur, like you want to have a deep desire to do what you're doing for one reason or another. And it can't just be about making money, but like you have to have some sort of desire because it is a grind. It is so hard. But what, mm -hmm. what I really appreciated in there and what, it, what I hope people listen to is I think too often uh, when people think about starting a business, and this even goes back to the, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. They're always trying to think about like, okay, well, what's an idea that nobody has? You know, what's something that I can start? What kind of problem is not being solved that, that I can solve? Those opportunities are out there. They're, they're even more slim than just the, uh, you know, the potential to succeed in any business. But mm -hmm. what I like that you said was, is you really went through this process of like, oh, well, I kind of have that figured out. Oh, I've, I've got that kind of dialed in. I've got background in that area. Oh, I understand that. I've got a customer mm -hmm. base. I've got, and I think there's so much wisdom in that, that as people maybe even now are listening and they're like stuck in a job that they hate or just don't like or don't see themselves in forever and they want to do something, like look at your own business. That, you know, look at your own career you're in right now. Look at your own mm -hmm. industry and try and figure out how, how what you do can align or help launch you into something uh, that would be your own. So I think that there's a lot of wisdom there. Yeah. And, and if I can add two quick points, number one, to put it into perspective, this was not like a 24 hour decision, right? Like all of that was probably like a three to four month culmination mm -hmm. of thinking about what I wanted to do, putting, you know, thinking about the pieces I had in place, thinking about what I was interested in, passionate about, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So definitely don't rush it. Right coming up, coming up with those reasons in and of itself took weeks of time, just thinking about, Oh, you know, what, how can I leverage this? What makes sense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, like you said, give yourself the best chance and it doesn't have to be that shiny new, whatever, like what I've kind of noticed is especially with tech companies is there's a crap load of really successful tech companies that took like one idea and just like did it a little bit differently, right? Or applied it to that, right? So like a new free platform is by no means a, a new idea, but nobody yeah. had applied it to immigration yet, right? Yeah. So by all means, be the Uber of that or the, you know, like what, what I thought of us as was the credit karma for immigration. So mm. credit karma, you can go in, they'll do a free evaluation of your credit and then they'll push you to all these other, you know, credit card upsells and that's how they make their money. Yeah. In, in this sense, it's like we're a little bit more deep in terms of what we offer for free, but essentially we're just giving away free immigration information. Mm -hmm. And then if you use our additional upsells or other partners, we generate revenue. Yep. Yep. No. I mean, well, even, you know, when, when you first started to say uh, right there, like, you know, just do it a little bit differently than what's already being done. Like I even think about, I mean, Lyft was first to the market. Uber crushed them, right? Just mm -hmm. grabbed so much more market share. You referenced Elon earlier. I mean, you know, though his ultimate mission, you know, is to put somebody on Mars and really create sustainable life there, like his success is in building cars. Like mm -hmm. they've been doing that for a long time. Or like he, he absolutely destroyed the effectiveness and efficiency of the space program. And that's something that we had been doing for ever. And mm -hmm. so I think that there's ways to look, like you said, at what's already being done, whether that's specifically in your industry or in something you're passionate about and saying, Oh, if I just did that just a little bit differently, mm -hmm. I bet I could be successful. So and initially it was for Elon, it was with PayPal. Yeah. They just did online payments better than everybody. That's yep. how he got his money to then start um, 
I don't even remember what order he started everything in because he started so many things, but read his biography. My yeah. God, if you want some motivation, geez, that's a, it's entertaining and B it'll make you think twice about what you've accomplished <laughs> in, in, in your life. You know, uh, in all of our uh, lives. So I, I read that like the one authorized biography that's been written about him. Like I, you know, it's just some woman, the woman that wrote it, I can't remember her name right now, but like there's one out there. I read it last year and you know, what was most fascinating to me. And I think that this is something, this is, uh, this was a time that I, I kind of like doubled down on passion for business or like being passionate about the business you start is like that book talked about the fact that they interviewed high school girlfriends of his and they would ask like, well, wh how was he? And, you know, he was pretty normal. And, you know, what did he talk about? Well, he always talked about wanting to put somebody on Mars. Like in mm -hmm. high school, that was the guy's vision in life. And mm -hmm. so as he has built businesses, like he took his whole PayPal fortune and put it into SpaceX or, you know, attempted first SpaceX. Crazy. Like he needed something else, put it into Tesla, but Tesla is only just funding his, his eventual mission back into SpaceX to get to Mars, right? Like that is what it means to be passionate. And, and you know, you're going to love him or hate him for that. Like I interviewed his director of HR for my podcast um, many months ago. He's not there anymore, but he was for during the growth period of Tesla. And he mm -hmm. said that, you know, working for the guy, like whether you hated or loved him as a person or even his leadership style, you couldn't help but... Um, but be on board for his passion for what he was trying to accomplish. And so right. that's so important for us that like, that's what gets us out of bed. That's what helps us get through the grind. Um, which by the way, is something else that you said, you said this 10 minutes ago or something like that, but it was something that I picked up on and I, and I want to hear you talk about it. Um, because it also relates to this brand you have around solopreneur grind. So you said that, being a business owner on your own can be very lonely and it can be difficult. Those are maybe some of the words you use, but around that line. So mm -hmm. what was that experience like for you? Because if, if we were watching this on video, like I could even just see it in your face for those that like see that part on YouTube, go back and rewind and listen to that. But like, what was that experience like for you? And where was the biggest struggle in terms of that loneliness? Yeah, I mean, let's let's just say I picked that name for my podcast for a reason, right? Uh, I actually spent a few days thinking about what I wanted to name that, and and I just found that the word "grind" encapsulated the experience uh, perfectly. Mm. Uh, it was really tough. So, so the first, let's say, probably year, year and a half, I mostly worked from home, mainly because the first six to eight months were, were a financial struggle. And after that, I'm just, I'm a saver. I'm, I'm not a spender. So my, my thinking was always, why would I pay 400 a month for this, for this co-working space when I could not pay 400 a month yeah. for the co-working space and have more right in, in my pocket, either personally or for marketing or, or whatever. It was really tough for many reasons. Um, and, and if you go on the website, solopreneurgrind.com, I actually have a blog where I have a bunch of articles talking about loneliness specifically and, and how to deal with that. Um, so if people have a deeper interest in that, I'll, I'll, but to answer the question for now, it's very tough for a few reasons. Number one, the business part in and of itself is difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And especially if you're working from home and or working alone, you have to bear that burden always, right? It, it doesn't leave, right? Yep. Even when, you know, 501 hits because there's no nine to five anyways, if you're an entrepreneur um, or even at night, you know, pressures to make money don't just stop uh, right. to begin with. Number two, you have to also consider opportunity costs, right? For anybody, especially not, not to sound elitist in any way, shape or form, but by starting your own practice as a lawyer, like you're forfeiting a pretty decent starting salary, right? Yeah. So it could be whether, you know, doctor, lawyer, anything, any, it doesn't even matter, right? Even if you're forfeiting a $40,000 a year salary, that's still money that you're forfeiting yeah. to go start your own business. Um, number three is that it's hard to like when you don't, when you're not an employee 
I just find it's a little bit harder to kind of relate and kind of share in difficulties you're going with, hmm. uh, going through, right? You can't go to your buddy across the hall and complain about how crappy your boss is, <laughs> right? Or how crappy your job is, yeah. right? Like you dug your own ditch. You decided to start this business yourself. And even when I was doing really well, even like a year and a half, two years in, you would have an off week or an off month or whatever. Yep. You still have tough times and like you can't go to Sally down the hall and like complain to her. You can absolutely and you should rely on, you know, your network, your family, your friends, which I could, but especially my friends that were employees, you know, a lot of them just didn't get it, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's very hard to get, which is one of the big reasons I started Solopreneur Grind was to talk to other like-minded people. I started my own little mastermind, to totally free, like little mastermind group of solopreneurs I had met in Toronto. I'm located in Toronto. Just even once a month, we would go grab dinner, talk about business, whatever. So there's ways around it. Yep. There's absolutely ways around it. But it's, it's tough. It's tough. And nobody talks about it that much. Yeah. So that was one of the big catalysts to start my podcast was a, to talk about what it's actually like and how difficult it is and B so I could connect with and, you know, build relationships with people like you who know what it's like, right? Yeah. Because th there's just, there's a deeper connection there. That's, that's can, you know, can be lacking. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I personally relate so much to that. I remember, you know, starting my business at the end of 2011 and um, working from home. I definitely could not afford an office. And so, you know, mm -hmm. had a little corner in my kitchen and, um, you know, I had kids at the time. And so, you know, noise in the background. So there was like distraction there. Um, but it was also like, it, it was really lonely and really hard, especially the kids would go to school. My wife kind of was doing her thing in her rhythm. And so I started going to Starbucks uh, for a whole day every week just mm -hmm. to be around people because like yep. I was just missing the, the movement and, and the community. So that was big. And so I relate there. I also relate to the fact that it's just flipping exhausting. Like you don't, you're right. You never get to shut off, but you also never get filled up, you know? So mm -hmm. I, it's everything inside of me is sales, marketing, business development, execution, operations, payables, collections, like whatever that is, like it's just you. And so mm -hmm. who is there to like fill me back up? And I agree that it's not talked about enough. And I think that it's often the result of shame or fear or embarrassment because it's like, well, I'm not enough to do this on my own. And mm -hmm. my response is no shit right? Mm -hmm. Like we need other people. Like I do feel that it is wise to always have a group of people around you. I don't think that people should necessarily strive for like solopreneurship for the rest of their life. Like I think there's ways to build out teams, even if they're not full-time employees, but mm -hmm. I just, I don't feel like, yeah, I, I just feel like there, there needs to be more talked about as much as even we're talking about this now. Like, I feel like I just want to go tell the whole world, like, it's okay to not be okay, number one. And number two, there are people yeah. out there that want to invest into you. Um, because the other problem too is, is there, the, the places that people will invest into you, they want your money and you don't have money because you mm -hmm. just started a business. So it's, just, it's, it's such a brutal cycle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh like you said, no one really talks about it. Another reason I started the podcast was because I'm a big consumer of content mm -hmm. and all of even the really great podcasts that I was listening to, some of which I still listen to is it's like, you know, millionaire A interviewing mm -hmm. millionaire B and they're talking about how many millions they're all making. And what I wanted to hear was what were the, like the first six months like of your business? So that's why like when you came on my show, we spent at least half the time just talking about your journey, right? Yeah. Not from like, oh, Ryan, how's the last year been now that you're successful? It's yeah. like, no, no, no. Over the first six months, like of your first business and yep. your story was actually even still unique as compared to the dozens of other solopreneurs I've had because you had to restart multiple yeah. times. So not only did, could you not rip the bandaid, you had to slowly tear the bandaid off multiple times. <laughs> I was just was stupid and kept putting it back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it made for a really great story. And that's one way to talk mm -hmm. about this stuff, right? Or even just have it out there so other people can listen to it 
yeah. and relate to it. And, you know, so the absolute best stuff that ever comes out of my podcast is when people just say, hey, I listened to this episode and I really related with it or, or really helped or, or whatever, whatever. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, one of my dreams always was, and actually it still is to this day, that people would just be more honest about the stages of business that they're really in. Like, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to get someone to say, you know, I've been in business, like I'll just take like in Orange County, I've been in business for 15 years and, you know, I'm doing okay, you know, I'll make 80 grand this year or something like that. Like no one will say that. People, you know, people will be like, yeah, you know, I've been in business for, you know, for 15 years. It's, it's going pretty good. And, and I'm doing pretty well financially. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not like loaded, but I'm doing okay. It's like, but like, what does that really mean? Or, hey, you know, do you have struggles? Yeah, you know, I have some challenges, but you know, I'm overcoming. Like nobody wants to like be super honest. And I've always tried to find, and I've never been able to find people in what I would call are like just that one stage ahead of me. And I don't mean in time because I feel like for some people it takes them 50 years, others it takes them five days to like get to crazy levels of success. I just want to find people that are just a little bit ahead of me so I can understand the mechanics of how they took that next step. And again, those are the things that most people don't talk about when you go for courses or coaching or whatever. Most people are just talking about the end game. Here's how to build the empire. And it's like, that doesn't help me in the day-to-day -day grind right now. It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you could almost compare entrepreneurship to other, we'll just call them other areas of life that have kind of stigmas to them, right? Mm -hmm. So like for like mental health, right? Yeah. Depression, anxiety, stuff like that. You know, people don't go into great detail about that stuff. Yep. And there's good reason not to, right? And there's good reason not to say, hey, I make 70 grand, a, you know, hey, I'm Josh, I make 70 grand a year. Right. Um, but I would almost compare it to those types of things, not in severity or whatever, whatever, but in the sense that there's a stigma to it. And a lot of people hold their cards close, myself included. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, it's someone I know and trust and kind of build a relationship with. Um, and so... We need to get it out there, right? Mm -hmm. There needs to be more people talking about it, more content about it, more support for people. So, I mean, we could do a whole, not just a whole podcast episode. We could run a whole podcast just on mental health for solopreneurs, oh, right? Um, and you could go on for years with that. So, it, it, the other thing is, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you think, Ryan. I think that like taking care of yourself mentally and physically may be just as important as the business decisions you're making when you're a solopreneur. Because if you're not in good shape mentally and physically, it's going to affect everything else, right? Yeah. Even if you have the best marketing strategy in place, you know, and you're going to whatever, I don't know, create some videos to market at these people. If you wake up feeling like crap every day because you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're stressed, da 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 it's going to show in the videos. It's going to affect your language, your, your body language, your verbal language. It's going to have a huge trickle down effect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm glad you touched on that. I mean, for me personally, I believe it's more important than the business side of things only because if we're an empty vessel, we can't perform mm -hmm. you know, anywhere near. It, it would be just like being an athlete and not eating. Mm -hmm. right? Eventually you just run out of energy yep. and, and, and you hit it spot on. Uh, so two years ago I started focusing on sleep uh, and I was always the four to five hour guy and mm -hmm. you know, and then I could survive. And I started reading these studies that talked about like the reduction in cognitive learning and response, you know, once you got less than seven hours of sleep at night, I was like, Holy smokes. And so when I started focusing on it, I noticed how much benefit that gave me in my ability to, to put out for my clients. And so mm -hmm. even now, like I'm exhausted every single day at the end of the day, but because I go home, because I get a workout in, I try and eat, you know, decently well and I get good sleep, I'm ready to go the next day. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit, and a big part of that is because I am continuing to invest in myself. And so when I coach other people, I don't, push on them, you know, the need to be like mentally right and physically right. But I definitely let them know the importance of doing that if they want to be successful, especially in the long term. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think there's no other type of person where it's as important. Well, athletes pretty damn important. But yeah, definitely as a solopreneur. 
Yeah. Okay, so you are running this tech firm uh, and it sounds like you are on the right path. It's going in the right direction. Things are going well. You also have this uh, podcast and brand. I know you do some, uh, you talked about blogs there, which I think everybody should go read. I think that that's whether you are a business owner or not, I think that area is super important uh, just around um, our own health and well-being, like through that. Um, uh, so what is the vision of the future? Like, have you, do you think about that? Like what's, I, I don't necessarily like to ask what's next, but where do you want this all to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think thinking about it is really important, especially the short and medium term. I don't. I try not to worry too, too much about the long term because we just have no idea what's going to yeah. happen, um, what new opportunities might come about, et cetera, et cetera. The plan is to build out Visto, and we don't want to just help skilled workers immigrate to Canada. I want to build a massive company that will eventually help skilled workers immigrate to whichever country they choose to. Right. So right now our focus is on Canada, but there are plenty of other countries, the U.S. not being one of them, that has very friendly immigration policies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if we're able to uh, and I'm not a big political guy, so, you know, we don't even have to touch on that. And hopefully maybe one day they'll uh, change their ways, but expand, continue to grow out the team, grow out the platform and prove, you know, profitability from outside of the world to Canada, mm -hmm. and then we can replicate that to other countries. So for example, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, uh, a handful of European countries are uh, already do have or are replicating similar type points-based, you know, merit-based PR programs. Yeah. Um, so expand it out, grow that into a nice big company, help a whole <laughs> lot of people. Uh, I also want to continue just growing the solopreneur grind brand, uh, talk to more awesome guests, uh, help more and more people. I have, I have not, you can go on the website. I have nothing for sale. There's no dollar <laughs> sign on the solopreneur grind uh, website. It's purely a passion project. I started it because while I was working on my firm, I had this business itch that was not being scratched. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why I did it. So I want to keep growing it one day. Yes. It would be awesome to monetize it in some way or another coaching, you know, Maybe we have enough listeners that we can get some advertising, but I'm not relying on that uh, or have any expectations for revenue for that for the time being. Uh, focus is on Visto and I spend you know a couple hours a week on Solopreneur Grind and I love it and uh, we'll see what opportunities come. That's awesome. I knew that was one of the thing I wanted to talk about and, and there's just no way because this opens up a, a crazy can of worms, but I have no fear of talking about politics or religion or anything. I just like, I, I don't really care what people think. Uh, I do, but I don't. Um, so like the United States has a disastrous policy on immigration and immigration is a mess. And I frankly mm -hmm. don't necessarily care uh, where people land other than the fact that I hope people care about people. Um, mm -hmm. But what's been so fascinating to me in the whole argument around immigration in our country is um, because our system sucks, let's just keep everybody out or mm -hmm. let's just let everybody in. And the common sense scenario seems to be like, let's just make it reasonably easy for people to go through, not the process doesn't have to be easy, but let's make it reasonably easy for people to go through a process to apply for and earn their way to become a citizen of this country. Like, super easy. And then you could let every single person in that wants to apply. I don't think that the government will ever be in a position to create that process because they're our government and they need to stay out of stuff instead of getting their hands into more stuff. So I really hope that whether it's a company like yours, um, maybe somebody looks at your business and says, I got one up on that and they can like somebody, but mm -hmm. I feel like a platform like what you have in just a very ignorant understanding I have could be the answer. Because again, if we just put some kind of efficient process in place, we could begin feeding some or moving so many of these people through the process instead mm -hmm. of these poor people that like, I understand they come here and it's like, I'm not even going to freaking try. I'm just going to try and hide my way here for as long as I can because your immigration process is stupid and, and mm -hmm. you know, barely anybody can get through and it takes 9 million years to do it. Like it's just, it's terrible. 
So yeah, I, I mean, again, this is another. I mean, you could make a whole podcast on this too. Uh, at the very least, an episode. I think the interesting thing, especially to think about if you're in the U.S., is probably two things. Number one is right now your H-1B is a lottery. Yeah, it's I don't bad. understand how that makes any sense. I'm sure there's a reason for why they started it, but having anything like that lottery based, just mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense to me. So that's one way to make it a little bit more efficient, right? You would, you would think you would want the most qualified and, and for those who are listening, I'm putting quotations because different countries and different people have different ways of qualifying. And the H1B that that's the application for citizenship based upon work, correct? That's not for citizenship. So that's just to oh, come. Oh, just a work visa. Yeah, just a work visa. Got yeah. It. Okay. Uh, and then apparently the step up from there is the green card, which is also like a total shot in the dark. Like you can you can work in the U.S. Some people, right? Not all. You can work on an H-1B for 10 years and maybe not be eligible for your green card. So there's no certainty whatsoever yeah. uh, for for what may be skilled immigrants who have a decade of experience working in the U.S. There is still no certainty for paying them, taxes, abiding paying taxes, by the laws, helping grow the economy, et cetera, et cetera. You have a better chance of having a unicorn in your backyard than getting a green card in this country. Exactly. It's uh, exactly. Now, here's to my second point. Here's what I think may actually create some change, right? A, maybe, you know, maybe a portal like Visto, hopefully, but B is, um, the war on talent right now that's happening, mm. happening globally. So one of the big reasons that Canada is so forward thinking, especially in the last five years in terms of immigration is all of these tech hubs and industries and economies are growing all over the world. Many countries simply do not have enough skilled workers, mm -hmm. right? So we're still, we ex experience a brain drain to the US and now actually a bunch of tech companies are coming to Canada and we're just, we're a small country. We're huge geographically, but we're tiny population wise. We don't have enough engineers. We don't have enough experienced uh, sales executives, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're not the only country going through that, right? So all these other countries that are forward thinking are putting in place more immigrant friendly uh, programs because the fact of the matter is there's only so many people and you can't just think about within your own country. You have to think about like, there's only X amount of data scientists on this planet, yep. right? And if we as Canada want to grow out our economy and by extension, in a sense, tech industry, we need to attract the right people. Otherwise, yeah. like, like I've heard stories from potential clients and, and current clients who say, you know, we're not located in Toronto, Toronto being the biggest city in Canada, and we can't attract talent, you know? So for example, I spoke to an incubator out of Kitchener. It's a small city, an, an hour from Toronto. And they're saying that they have many companies go bankrupt because they cannot attract and keep enough skilled talent mm -hmm. in their company. Yep. Right. So this is happening on a global scale. Many countries facing tech shortages. What I think may happen in the next three to five years is the U.S. will continue to fall behind other countries due to their poor immigration policies. We will then see a shift uh, of immigration flow away from the U.S. And we're already seeing it. Right? Yep. We're already seeing more shifts towards countries like Canada. And they're going to eventually wake up one day and say, holy crap. Uh, our tech industry and our economy and all of these other industries, we're losing out to Canada. Yeah. We're losing out to China. It's already happening, right? Countries like China. And uh, so I think in the next three to five years, there maybe it'll take longer, um, but there, there will be a rude awakening for countries that are looking to stay at the forefront, first world countries, second world countries looking to stay at the forefront, and they're not you know, forward thinking in terms of immigration. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating that you say that. So uh, one of the businesses that I own is a consulting business that works with US-based organizations to help them source uh, international talent for tech development projects. And so uh, I'm helping them source contractors, I'm hiring the contractors, subbing them out to them, and then they're using them for these tech development projects. And two of the main reasons that they use somebody like me to do that is one, because they're struggling to find talent here in the States, which we've just been on a shortage for a long time, especially in development, in tech Everybody in general. Everybody is. Everybody yeah. is. 
So that's one problem. The other problem is, is some of these companies that I'm working with are large enough to actually bring people over and hire them. The problem is, is the liability with sponsoring work visa and then abiding by all the compliance regulations in order to have them here isn't financially worth it. So mm -hmm. they would rather pay up charges to outsource the work and then the US economy takes a massive hit because while we're still paying taxes on the money here that we're paying, those people are collecting money overseas and then they're investing that money into their economies, which mm -hmm. that's great for those other countries that need it, but we're just moving a whole ton of money out of this country because we don't have an efficient process for mm -hmm. organizations to hire. So, I mean, I'm with yeah. you there. I mean, you're, so the, and yes, A, B, you're actually pushing the companies themselves out. So what, yeah. and I have done this for clients within the last year where I'll get a call, hey Josh, we're a successful US tech company. We need to grow fast. We cannot do it in the US. Please help us open up an office mm. in Canada because we know we can bring all of our engineers there, uh, either ones that are on H1Bs, right? Because you gotta think about it too. Even your employees that do come in on H1Bs, they're scared because they might have to leave tomorrow, right? Yep. They've relocated with their whole family. So these companies are opening up offices in Toronto, in Vancouver, in Ottawa, all over Canada, because they know they can bring in their H1Bs from the US, they can pay them Canadian dollars, number one. B, they, there's immigration certainty. And C, if they do want to sponsor, if you want to sponsor an engineer, you can get them into your Canadian company in four weeks. Maybe not no right now way. due to COVID, that's a whole other conversation. but. What I was telling you earlier, helping companies get uh, engineers on expedited work permits, and you and I might have to talk off, off air about this, yeah. especially if you're in this line of business, you can get a, a work permit for a tech worker in four to six weeks in Jeez. Canada. Pay them Canadian dollars, and uh, within two to three years, they'll probably all have permanent residency, which means they don't have to leave ever if they don't want to. They Three years in Canada on PR, you can apply for citizenship. Yeah, so in the United States, definitely no citizenship, almost no chance of permanently being able to stay here, mm -hmm. problems with the work permits, mm -hmm. which means no shot at ever getting that process to happen. So no, I just, yeah. I get it. Well, I love that it took us like a, a 45 minutes to get into just this controversial topic on immigration, <laughs> though we're really not talking about other than how to solve problems. Um, but no, that that's fantastic. And And again, I think that's, you know, the heart behind starting the business, solving problems is there are apparent issues out there. And just because option A, B, or C don't happen to work doesn't mean that we can't provide a D and D be the one that allows businesses to run, people to be employed, people to live out the life they want in the places that they want to. So I think it's awesome that you're doing that. Super duper cool. Yeah, and it's the perfect time for anybody else, right? Like, in so I'll date this. It's it's what mid-April 2020. We're in the middle of the COVID. Uh, well, I don't know if we're in the middle because I don't know how long it's going to go on for. <laughs> we don't but, know. We don't but know. we're on lockdown. You know, it's tough in many ways. It's opportunistic in other mm -hmm. ways. So so there, you know, there's never been a, a better time. Think on it. Be creative. Don't put pressure on yourself. You know like we talked about earlier, kind of think of some overlap between what you can leverage, what you're passionate about, um, what makes sense, what there's an, what there's demand for, where you can help the most people and, uh, and the rest is up to you. <laughs> Stock up on toilet paper for the next pandemic, man. Just buy a <laughs> warehouse and just have it already. <laughs> That's it. Well, Josh, I mean, thank you so much. You know, um, uh, you know, we were mutually introduced and you never know where those are going to go. Obviously, you can have some, you know, trusted people referring, um, but it's just been fantastic getting to share time on your podcast, you coming on, sharing here, getting to know you better, uh, learning a whole bunch more about immigration law, and, you know, <laughs> and, and just really solving problems. So I hope people think on that a little bit. But I think that more importantly, you know, you talking about, um, you know, just the reality of running a business and what it takes and someone having a jack in their life and, you know, just being willing to then invest into other people. I think that's where the real meat comes in. And it's probably the least sexy of everything that we can talk about. And yet it's the stuff that people are just going to gain the most from. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. 
No, I, I appreciate you you having me on. I thought you you guided it well. We we covered a whole lot of uh, hopefully pretty valuable topics for the listeners. So I, I really appreciate it. Yep. All right. So uh, we already talked about make sure that uh, they hop over to the solopreneur grind, not the solopreneurgrind.com. So that's S-O-L-O-P-R-E-N-E-U-R.com. So they can find you there. Is there anywhere else that people can go to find you, follow you, connect with you? Yeah. I mean, solopreneurgrind.com, definitely a good place. You can reach out on LinkedIn, uh, Josh Shack now, just how it's spelt probably in the description of, of this episode. Yep. Um, those, those are the best two. You can also send me an email, josh at solopreneurgrind.com. I'm pretty good at responding there as well. Cool. Okay. I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes. Uh, again, man, thanks so much. Super duper appreciative of you. To all you that have listened today, man, we covered a gamut of, uh, of content out there, but I think that as always, it's super duper important that you listen from the perspective of how you can learn, that you can grow, that you can develop yourself. There's just so much that we can pick up on as we continue to be the best version of ourselves. With that, another episode of the podcast in the books. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.